0: Hello and welcome to Partially Redacted, a podcast where we discuss privacy and security, engineering-related topics. I'm your host, Sean Faulkner, and today I'm joined by Charlie Summers, staff software engineer and data tech lead at Merit, and we'll be talking about privacy and security challenges of processing large amounts of government constituent data. Charlie, welcome to the show. Hey Sean, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks for being here. Uh, So we met almost a year ago at Snowflake Summit. Uh, somehow you had stumbled into our booth in the back corner of the snowflake uh, near the snowflake recording equipment. Basically, it was not the most ideal conference expo floor location, but I'm happy we've been able to to reconnect. And uh, maybe we can start with some basics. You know, who are you? What's your background? And how did you end up where you are today?
1: Sure. Yeah. Thanks, Sean. Um, so uh, I've been at Merit for about three and a half years. I started more on the software engineering side and about a year and a half ago helped uh, start and build out our data engineering team. Uh, Before I was at Merit, I worked at LinkedIn on data infrastructure. uh, So kind of coming from big tech down to the startup world. Uh, When I joined Merit, it was a 30 person pre-Series A company where we closed our series A a couple couple months after I joined. and now we're north of 120 people, uh, and in the process of raising our Series C. Uh, and before uh, before uh, my tech career, I actually came out of the boot camp background. So I was at a boot camp called 42. Uh, and actually, while in industry, I've continued to pursue additional education uh, part time while working. Uh, I'm currently actually working toward my doctorate in computer science, focused on databases. Under Dr. Eugene Wu at Columbia University.
0: Oh wow, you got a, you got a lot going on. <laughs> You're at a you know Series B startup as well as doing your PhD right now. That's fantastic. It sounds like you've had uh, tremendous growth uh, over the last couple of years too at Merit. That's, that's great.
1: Yeah, it's been been a a pleasure to be along for the ride. Mm-hmm.
0: So, can you talk a little bit about what you know? What Merit does, and and you know, you mentioned a little bit about your you know moving from your software engineering role to more of the data engineering side. But can you dig in a little bit more to what exactly are your sort of roles and responsibilities?
1: Yeah, would it be helpful for me to go over like what Merit does as a company to start? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, so, Merit is a digital credentialing company. Uh, so if you're an electrician in the state of Virginia, you have a digital version of your license on our platform. And we use that core credentialing platform uh, to solve complicated problems, primarily for state and local governments. Um, so to give a couple of examples of kind of markets that we are in, uh, I was deployed on the ground, actually, uh, a couple weeks after Hurricane Ian hit Florida back in October. And actually my company Merit was there uh, from a few days before the hurricane actually hit where, uh, we were credentialing and allowing access, um, for all first responders to all the different, uh, sites as they were, you know, uh, providing services, you know, fire, medical, um, service, services to that community. Um, and then we actually built an application on top of our core platform that provides hours tracking for those personnel, um. Uh, which then uh, the state of Florida was able to use to more quickly get reimbursed for, uh, like from federal dollars for the federal disaster that was Hurricane Ian. Uh, so that's like one big market that we're in right now, uh, like emergency response. Um, another one that we're in is uh, education savings accounts. Uh, so we're currently partnered with the states of Ohio and Kansas uh, basically to help them disperse education related funds to parents in those states uh, so parents who qualify are sent a credential what we call a merit uh, uh, on our platform, uh, and they use that to access another application built on top of our core platform where they can submit claims and uh, to allow them to get reimbursed for education related expenses like textbooks or after school programs. Uh, so that's a little bit about what merit does. Uh, what I do within merit, uh, I run our data engineering team uh, so our primary primary responsibility is making sure that all data is able to be uh, gathered in one place uh, to support tooling to allow for transforming, visualizing, working with that data uh, easily and successfully for all the different teams that need to. Uh, but like most focused on our analytics team, as they provide reports and dashboarding for our customers and for ourselves internally. Um, and then finally, uh, my team is responsible for protecting against all threat vectors uh, and, and really securing uh, that data and making sure that uh, you know we're uh, meeting the you know SOC two HIPAA uh, compliances that we, uh, that we focus on.
0: Awesome. And then what's, what's some of the makeup of that team right now? Like how, how big is it? What, what, uh, you know, what are the roles within that team? Yeah. So
1: right now we have a team of, uh, five, including myself on data engineering. Uh, so that's four people that are more traditional data engineers. And we actually have one, uh, like data, we call it like a data quality engineer, uh, but like uh, they kind of come from a more from a partial like QA background. Uh, They're actually shared with our sister team, which is the data analytics team, which uses the infrastructure that we provide in order to build pipelines and, you know, meet explicit customer or internal needs. Uh, And that's a team of about six people. So together we kind of make up the data, the data team, uh, which is 10 or 11.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah, so it sounds like a a pretty good sized team relative to the size of the company that's just purely focused essentially on making sure that the data is flowing into the right locations and that, uh, you know, you're maintaining data quality. So you touched on this a little bit around some of the, you know, applications of uh, of Merit. Uh, It sounds like you're dealing with, you know, things from potentially government data, education data. Do you want to maybe dig in a little bit deeper to, you know, what are the kind of data that you're dealing with and and maybe comment around what is the level of sensitivity to that data?
1: Yeah, so um, pretty much we expect that all data that customers give us is PII. Uh, Like this is effectively credentialed information, so it's almost always related to a a single individual and something that, you know, they did, uh, whether that's... uh, you know, a, a, like an occupational license or some, uh, like check-in checkout record. It, it's all like ultimately associated with a single individual. Um, so we assume that anything customers give us is PII, we don't actually like allow for classification within our system. We just, you know, across the board, assume, uh, it's sensitive, um, uh, as just kind of like a, an easier way to make it so that customers don't accidentally, you know, click the wrong column and suddenly something isn't as secure as they want it to be. Um, yeah, we we do process some HIPAA data as well. We've had a couple, you know, especially uh, in like the emergency response space, we've we've held we've uh, held some like medical related information. Uh, so we also keep our systems HIPAA compliant. Um, we do have like to give some more uh, to give some examples of some of the data that we work with. Uh, we work with uh, like. Addresses, phone numbers, even like social security numbers, income information, uh, like how much someone's getting paid in a particular pay period might flow through our system. Uh, So we definitely try to handle it as securely as possible.
0: Yeah. So as, you know, like a data engineer that's maybe working on, and maybe this isn't applicable to you, but maybe to other people on your team that's working with, you know, PII, potentially healthcare related information, maybe for the first time, what is sort of the, like, mindset or types of challenges that they need to be thinking about when working with that kind of data versus maybe, you know, essentially non-sensitive data?
1: Yeah, great question.
0: Uh, I think that,
1: so the first thing that we try to do is make it so that uh, engineers don't have a, like a gun pointed at their foot. Uh, So really trying to uh, make sure that They when they like log into the system for the first time, they don't have just blanket access to everything that they could that they ever could want give access to. Uh, So, in general, I think that companies take like one of two approaches, and you'll probably hear me repeat this throughout this interview. But it's like, do they take the approach of uh, like allow access and then uh, like add on restrictions later, or do they keep everything restricted at first and then like gradually allow more access? And we tend to be in the latter approach, where we really try to kind of keep the keep everything closed off. Uh, But then we have gradually been building more capabilities to continue to do the transformation and processing that we need on top of that data. So for example, uh, one tool that we're using uh, in order to support this is uh, a tool called Teleport, uh, which allows us to do like uh, a time-based role escalation for someone that's potentially debugging some sensitive customer data, or like perhaps we do build some dashboards that are, Like leveraging customer, like sensitive customer data, but the customer is expecting to see it in the dashboard. So in those cases, we uh, can allow for temporary role escalation, where while like a uh, an analytics engineer is working with that exact data set, uh, they can see that data, but otherwise they cannot.
0: Awesome, and I think you know one of the things you highlighted there around this sort of like two ways that a company can go, where it can be like, hey, we you kind of have access to everything, and then we try to restrict, or we start essentially with like a zero trust model or extremely limited access. And then we give access based on, you know, specific business requirements or whatever. whatever. I think that's like the transformation that we're starting to see in this space and and around, I think, you know, privacy in general is taking this sort of view of, hey, let's let's not trust everybody. Let's essentially add the uh, access that they need for even like a a time-based access so that you can really limit the expo- potential exposure of, of a mistake that could happen or, uh, you know, a threat factor of some sort.
1: Definitely. That's something that we've really focused on. Uh, and I think that we're like, we've borrowed a lot of techniques that we see in the, like the, uh, infrastructure, like SRE space, uh, where they, you know, they have faced a lot of similar problems in terms of maintaining access, uh, to, Sensitive resources uh, and like tools like Teleport actually directly came from that infrastructure space and have more recently been coming into the data sphere. Uh, so we, we look to our friends uh, over in the SRE land to uh, maybe think uh, a couple steps ahead of where best practices are, are aiming at, um, which we found very uh, successful.
0: Nice. And then you mentioned Teleport, but what else is in your data stack? Can you share a little bit about you know what what uh, you know tools are you essentially? Using today to, to build this you know data engineering pipelines.
1: Yeah, so we are a Snowflake based shop for our data warehousing needs. Uh, we use DBT pretty much exclusively for transforming data. Uh, so all you know SQL based pipelines leveraging DBT. Uh, we orchestrate that with Airflow. In particular, we use uh, Google's hosted uh, Cloud Composer within GCP. Uh, for ETL, we use FiveTran, and we also ingest some data directly from Kafka streams using the Kafka Snowflake connector. Uh, reverse ETL, we use High Touch. Uh, for visualization, we use Sigma, uh, and then like giving a shout out to just like our core platform itself, which is what our traditional software engineers uh, work on top of and, and build out, uh, which itself does some data processing uh, and like you know, builds the containers that, uh, the, 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 merits that we, uh, that we send out to individuals. Uh, that's all written in Golang. Uh, and it's an event-driven service, uh, with like Kafka as the underlying event layer.
0: Mm-hmm. And then you, you mentioned, uh, you know, running some of this on GCP. Are you, are you a GCP shop then?
1: Yeah. Yeah. All of this is GCP under the hood. Mm-hmm.
0: Okay, great. And then can you, Maybe we can walk through essentially like the life of a piece of data. If we maybe we can take a specific example and talk about you know where does that uh, you know essentially start its life within merit and and kind of like where does it end up and what what uh, life cycle does it go through? Sure. Yeah. So
1: it's there's definitely a couple of steps here as we you know receive data from customers and. Uh, ultimately uh, present, provide it to their constituents in the form of credentials that they can use and have verified in any place where they could otherwise use a physical license. Uh, so I'll, I'll give an example from the education savings account world. Uh, so we're partnered with the state of Ohio here uh, as, as one of our, our two current customers. Um, so uh, Ohio basically has a, uh, a CSV, I believe it's on an SFTP server, that is... Basically, their up-to-date list of who they want to have uh, able to access this particular program. So what we do is in a daily load, uh, we actually have integrated with... So there are two ways to load data into our platform. You can either give us a CSV, which is like a flat file with your data, uh, or we actually have an, a feature that we call integrations uh, that is actually under the hood powered by Fivetran where we use effectively a white label version of FiveTran that we've extended with custom connectors uh, for like our government specific use cases, um, and customers can kind of link uh, some you know database, Google Sheet, Airtable, uh, or in, in Ace Ohio's case, or in, in Ohio's case, uh, the uh, this SFTP server uh, where will it'll basically like automatically do an extraction on a daily or even a more frequent basis um from there uh data is ingested into one of our microservices where uh we ensure that it meets the schema that we expect the data to be in uh, like basically customers can define that schema on within our platform uh and also encrypt the data right then and there uh so we actually encrypt like you know if you imagine a csv we're encrypting at the cell level uh with a customer specific encryption key um so really uh making sure that as as soon as data like gets into our platform we're encrypting it as Quickly as possible, um, and then it gets stored to like a Postgres database there as an encrypted format, and gets sent downstream as a Kafka message, also in that encrypted format. Um, from there, we have another microservice that basically like listens to all of these data sources as they get ingested and combines those using a uh, what we call templates in our in our platform uh, into the actual credentials or contain uh, credentials. Uh, also known as merits, you might also hear me using the term containers. Uh, there's some internal lingo there that I'm referencing uh, that are the actual uh, credentials that people like see within our mobile app, or uh, you know th- there'll be reporting on uh, for uh, the actual organizations. Uh, so the. Uh, yeah, so really the goal here is we encrypt uh we try to have data always encrypted when it's on disk meaning that uh, like we encrypt the application layer and then like right before we give it to a customer we'll we'll decrypt it on the server side before sending it to their to their device. Um and yeah, and then basically uh users can have multiple of these data sources that they kind of combine together into uh these containers that they can that, that are these credentials that they can send to their constituents.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it sounds like you know, if you take the SFTP uh, example, you have there, you're you're gonna have an encrypted connection essentially to the SFTP uh, server. And then you're encrypting at a cell level with a customer level key. And then essentially that data is gonna stay encrypted throughout the lifecycle of it through your pipeline and only decrypted when you need to essentially send it on to, to the customer. So you're limiting the, expo- the potential exposure of that data through its entire life cycle within your systems. Is that right?
1: Definitely. And yeah, what I imagine we'll talk about uh, maybe here soon is uh, once we've encrypted all this data, it does restrict some of the things we're able to do with it. Uh, so we've uh, built some uh, some uh, workarounds to make sure that we still can do things like uh, query by a field that a customer gives us. Like, for example, they may upload, they often upload an email address to us for the like the email, the point of contact, point of uh, digital contact for a particular constituent. Uh, we still need to do lookups by those particular values, stuff like that. So we've we've come up with a, a bag of tricks that we use to uh, still allow us to do, to support that sort of behavior.
0: Yeah, I want to dig into that bag of tricks, but maybe, maybe before we get there, for the... Encryption key management. So you're using essentially different encryption keys for your customers. Is that something the customer is managing or is that something that you manage on behalf of the customers? How how does that system work?
1: Currently, we manage it on behalf of customers. We're very interested in eventually uh, supporting a bring your own key model, uh, but we're not there quite yet. Uh, And definitely, I think that, uh, yeah, while while all of our customers are very security and, and privacy conscious, uh, we eventually have aspirations of helping out perhaps in like the DOD or the like FBI sort of space. Uh, and as we approach those markets, things like bringing on key models uh, are, are often become like par for the course. So that's the direction that we're, we are interested in in the future.
0: Hey there, Sean here. I hope you're enjoying this episode of Partially Redacted. If so, please subscribe so you can always check out the latest episode and help others find a show by leaving a rating and review. Final thing before I get you back to the interview, if you're interested in privacy and security, have a challenge or issue you want to discuss or want to share your expertise, please join the partially adapted community at skyflow.com slash community. All right, now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, the, the, the uh, DOD is probably not going to trust you with their, their encryption key management. Um, yeah, so maybe we can dig into this bag of trip. So obviously you want to encrypt data in order to protect it, but the downside of, of encryption is that it can limit your ability to actually utilize the data without decrypting it first and then performing some sort of operation on it. So, how are you dealing with some of those challenges while still essentially maintaining security of the data but allowing people to actually utilize it?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, uh, first and foremost, we uh, are in like the we tend to fall in the most secure but like least accessible version of encryption. Uh, so, particularly, we're using non-deterministic encryption. Um, so we really have you know no idea like even if two values are the same uh, like two decrypted values are the same uh, when they are encrypted, they'll be different values so we can't necessarily do things like like joins or calculate some sort of aggregate information on top of this data. Uh, so what we actually do is we uh, all of the data as it enters our platform eventually ends up you know in in our in our data in our data warehouse in snowflake and we uh, do, like basically, we've built an integration with Snowflake, leveraging a feature called Snowflake External Functions. Uh, I think y'all might be aware of this feature. It's it's definitely used by a lot of folks in kind of like the the tokenization and encryption space, uh, which basically allows us to uh, do on the fly decryption of data. Um, so uh, effectively, it it looks like a uh, a function within Snowflake, uh, but what it does under the hood is we have a, uh, a serverless function running on Google on, on GCP's infrastructure uh, within the same you know uh, physical data center as where Snowflake is running. Uh, and it sends batches of data to this service, which then decrypts it and returns it back to, like decrypts it with the appropriate customer-specific key, uh, and then uh, returns that value back to uh, the calling process, uh, which allows us to kind of... Uh, while we're querying Snowflake, have it doing that decryption on the fly. Now, of course, the question is, uh, once we've built this capability, how do we uh, manage access control to this particular piece of functionality? Because, you know, if you encrypt a whole bunch of data, but then have a tool that just decrypts it whenever you want, well, you you might as well have not encrypted the data. Uh, So we, once again, this is where we leverage that teleport tool that I mentioned earlier to make sure that uh, when folks have access to this data, it's Uh, well audited what they're doing with it Uh, and uh, time-based so that uh, it's like the other, the other point is time-based so that uh, it expires after, you know, maybe four hours or eight hours. Uh, And then finally, we make sure that we uh, have confirmation with our customers themselves that we are doing this sort of processing, whether it's, and normally this looks like uh, some sort of uh, statement in our contract saying that we're supposed to be doing, you know, data processing or data cleaning on their behalf. Um, so, uh, yeah, we, that's kind of how we uh, make sure that we're using this tool uh, in, in the ways the customers want us to instead of just using it all over the place.
0: And then using those external functions in Snowflake, are you able to connect essentially the, the like, user identity in Snowflake to your understanding of who that user or customer is on the merit side so that you're pulling the right, essentially, encryption key information for them?
1: Yeah, yeah. In terms of which, uh, like what org, uh, like whose org this data is so that we can use the right decryption key. Is that what you mean? Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So we, uh, like, luckily, you know, this is all props to Snowflake for building cool uh, integrations like this. Uh, We can basically pass that in that function call where we pass what the, that org specific ID is, uh, and then use that to look up uh, in, I believe we're using Google Secret Manager uh, to, to pull down the right, uh, key and and use that for for any uh for any further decryption.
0: Yeah, that is actually a very similar process to what we support at Skyflow with essentially detokenization through uh, through external functions in, in Snowflake. And then um, the the other, I, I with this process, have you run into any? Is there any like uh, performance challenges? Like, what what is some of the what is sort of the size of the data set that you're working with?
1: Yeah, great question. So uh, there definitely is some performance overhead, uh, and we're still doing some tuning and processing, uh, or like some uh, some performance tuning to make sure that we can have this thing running as fast as possible. That, that's where I, you know, would definitely give a shout out to to folks like you at Skyflow who already have done all this tuning because uh, there's definitely some engineering effort on our end to try to have a similar type of behavior. Um, so uh, in terms of like data volumes. Uh, In general, we have about seven terabytes in our entire Snowflake warehouse. That includes stuff like backups and also operational data. Uh, So it's not just like customer specific data. Um, But when it comes to like the actual number of merits uh, in our system, we have uh, millions of merits in our system. We have a couple million users on our system. So individual like unique users that we've sent sent merits to, sent credentials to. Uh, and then several thousand organizations that are that are issuing these credentials.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, so pretty pretty uh, sizable amount uh, of data. And then, are you leveraging any of the existing like privacy and security features of Snowflake around uh, how, how you're essentially like protecting some of the data?
1: Yeah, definitely. Uh, so all of the so like access to bulk decrypt, as well as access to data sets themselves. Um, and we also do uh, at, at this point we do some uh, like masking of data uh, in certain places as well, uh, particularly places where it's not like data customers have provided us, but maybe, you know, uh, like HubSpot data, CRM data that also has, uh, you know, private information. Um, so, uh, we, yeah, we, we definitely leverage like Snowflake's role-based access control, uh, and like our continue like continue to improve the way that we're kind of managing that access control and making sure that people are, you know, scoped to the, the data sets that they need. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so that, some data masking, and then we, we particularly leverage external functions for like a security-related use case.
0: Mm-hmm. And then, so you're using the the RBAC system in, in Snowflake. Is that the primary way that you're controlling access to the data? Yes, yes. And then I think you mentioned this or briefly earlier, this um, idea that you're, uh, you're logging or auditing a certain, certain amount of access. So is it whenever someone's like sort of touching the data, that information is logged somewhere?
1: Yeah. So luckily we, we lean on Snowflake for a lot of that uh, in terms of them providing query logs uh, that we then do, like we do a, a, an audit every three months of like who has access to what, as well as uh, doing some like query log analysis to try to, Uh, understand anomalies, we're definitely uh, like, I I think we still have room to improve in some of that process, particularly on the auditing side, to make sure that we uh, like are really being fine grained uh, and making sure that uh, there's no access that is unexpected. Uh, But we we have invested some amount in that space. And I think that we're uh, moving in a good direction uh, but yeah, I mean, there are a lot of queries and we, uh, do our best to keep track of what's going on everywhere. Um, sorry, what was the other part of your question?
0: I was just, uh, asking about what was the, you know, how did auditing and logging work, uh, in, in the system?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So uh, the other parts, uh, teleport provides some additional logging on top of, uh, like the out of the box, you know, on top of just like role escalation, um, and maybe I would say primarily we're, we're leveraging kind of Snowflake's built-in logging for uh, our, our current solution.
0: Mm-hmm. So you mentioned quite a few, you know, uh, tools that you're using to sort of protect the data, both from things that you've built directly within Merit, as well as some of the tools that are built into to Snowflake. Are there other tools and technologies or techniques that you're using around both protecting the data, governing access, as well as actually allowing people to use it that you haven't mentioned?
1: Probably the only one that I haven't mentioned is the way that we manage all of our RBAC system and our access controls is we use uh, Terraform for all of that. Uh, so we have it infrastructure as code where it can be code reviewed by others instead of like going directly into you know a Snowflake worksheet and making those changes directly. That makes it a little bit easier for us to kind of manage as well as audit what's going on. Uh, we also have actually like built a dashboard that helps us with some of our auditing, particularly around... like. Uh, like our back auditing to make sure that people are slotted into the right places. Um, so we uh, like have like a refreshing dashboard that I think refreshes daily uh, that allows us to do that auditing a little bit easier.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I like that idea of the infrastructure's code for essentially controlling your your RBAC policies. It makes a lot of sense. And the, so you know, it sounds like you've done a, a combination of you know, using some existing tooling as well as building some custom stuff. So how did you kind of think through the process of, you know, where do I build versus where do I buy something off the shelf in order to build a solution that's going to make sense for Merit as well as for the customers that you serve?
1: Yeah, for sure. I think generally, you know, we're a fast growing startup. We don't have tons and tons of engineers. I think our engineering team is a little over 40 people at this point in time. Uh, So we try to buy over build. Uh, in, in most situations, um, really, when we choose to build, it's when we consider it like within our core competency uh, and something that, you know, uh, our customers, or our investors would expect us to have like a complete amount of control over. And we we couldn't necessarily, uh, you know, push blame somewhere else if something really uh, happened in, in that particular instance. So, uh, like, really, our, our primary core competency is. Uh, providing like a flexible and easy way for customers to build these credentials from whatever data sources customers have uh, as well as like the like uh, individuals that have been issued these credentials uh, like having a uh, you know an application where they can uh, go in and use these credentials to satisfy whatever use case we've we've been supporting them with uh, the other place where we feel it kind of within our core competency is um, like Making sure that our customer data, like our PII, is is secure and private. Uh, I would, you know, I, I I know you're, uh, like I, I definitely like helped earlier on with a, an eval of Skyflow for potentially like uh, having y'all handle that particular challenge for us, and we chose to not go with it. But for any like for anyone listening to this podcast, if you're if you're not, uh, if, if you don't consider that part of like a core competency of what your business does, like Skyflow does awesome work. Uh, and like what you're doing is really cool. And certainly, uh, it would, it it would save anybody a lot of engineering time and a lot of, uh, stress, uh, just one more thing to worry about. Um, but yeah, for for us, we made the call to, uh, instead like build out that, that those pieces ourselves. Uh,
0: well, that's great. I mean, I, I think, um, you know, I, I, I'd ask that question not to to uh, solicit uh, a promotion for for Skyflow, but I appreciate the uh, I appreciate the sentiment. No, there, no, but, I,
1: yeah, uh, g- genuinely, I, I do like what y'all are doing. It's 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 really cool. Awesome.
0: And then you know the clearly there's been a lot of thought put into uh, your both your data engineering pipeline, but also thinking about like how you handle that from like a privacy and security perspective and having a really good privacy security posture. Why was it something that, you know, Merit chose to prioritize? You know, I think a lot of times with with startups, especially in the early stage, it can be very easy to think like, well, you know, we, we need to worry about customers right now. We don't need to necessarily worry about these other things. Uh, we can figure those things out later on. H- how was that sort of thought process, uh, or what was, uh, you know, I guess, like the thought process behind making this uh, a priority and sort of a a core competency for the company?
1: Yeah, I think that, um, I mean, I always say that like in the very early days of Merit, you know, Merit's been around since about 2016, there probably, there might have been a similar sentiment, um, but it was back around when I was joining in 2019, where we realized that we really wanted to go after government and like the government use case to give an example before we were actually in government uh we we actually still uh do all of the credentialing for much of the skydiving industry uh so uh if you jump out of a if if you show up with a parachute at a a drop zone uh you can't just like jump into a plane and then jump out of a plane uh they they want to make sure that you are certified that you've jumped out of planes before so that you're not they're not like you know seeing you spot against the ground uh so this is actually the first market that we targeted when we were starting as a business uh, and one that is much less privacy centric. But as we uh, decided to have our go-to-market strategy really be focused on uh, what we think is like the most important credentials in, you know, our, our ecosystem, uh, what we think of as like verified identity, the most important pieces of verified information. Uh, we uh, decided that, you know, government was the focus and, if we're going to be storing stuff like social security numbers, uh, we need to make sure that we triple down on this because we don't want to be the, the back door that ends up on the front page of some, you know, uh, New York times article or whatever, because, uh, like we, we exfiltrated data out of some state, uh, and you know, personal data that that affects an, an entire set of constituents. So it's, it's really just the importance of the data, uh, and like for us, there's like a big moral component there. Uh, the other piece, and I mentioned this a little bit earlier as well, is, is we are interested in going after even more secure markets. So going after DID, DOD, going after CIA, uh, and, and helping out those uh, like even more tightly secured uh, organizations that are doing you know such important work in the world. Um, so uh, if we want to even you know start competing for the RFPs for those businesses, we need to be you know, to go above and beyond in our security and privacy posturing, uh, so that we can really uh, provide the value there that we that we think we can.
0: Awesome! And, and I think it's great and, and comforting to me that you can't just show up at a uh, uh, skydiving <laughs> location with a with a backpack and be like, "I'm ready to go," and they and and they don't check anything. So I'm glad to hear that. <laughs> uh, and then, th- do you also think about you know, you mentioned like going above and beyond. Do you see this also as kind of like a you know privacy as like a key differentiator for your for the business as well?
1: Yes, yes, we definitely do. Uh, we we love we uh, are in and hope to continue to be in a position where, as we think about things like you know maybe national uh, privacy laws for consumers in the in the U.S., you know, they already are, exist in other countries. Uh, but in the US that it doesn't really, we'd love to be in a position where we can be advocating uh, for more privacy uh, and not be in the position that I think we often find ourselves in in tech where we instead have to be like, oh no, we can regulate ourselves. Like we'd rather have oversight. We'd rather have the people's will, uh, you know, enacted uh, and like really make sure privacy is first and foremost protected for folks. Uh, And I think that uh, that's also been a big benefit for us.
0: Awesome. And then are there, you know, future technologies in this space or, or maybe even in the data engineering space that you're, you know, particularly excited about?
1: Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, I already gave a shout out in the privacy space to like this, these data vault technologies, like what y'all at Skyflow are doing uh, a little bit more broadly in the data engineering space. Uh, very interested in uh, kind of the rise of I guess, like broadly, the need to do less ETL. Uh, so, Snowflake is coming out with a feature, Unistore, that they announced at last Snowflake Summit, that is really exciting to me because if we, you know, if it can compete on cost uh, compared to us just running on Postgres servers, then we're in a position where all of our data is already in one place and we end up having to move it around less. That even has an impact on the security side because there's just less places you need to defend, uh, which is always a plus. Uh, the other piece of technology that I think will really Change the way that we at least build our data pipelines, uh, being like a really SQL-focused shop. Are all the companies working on like incremental view maintenance? Uh, so materialize as like a first-class service, kind of focusing on this. But um, I think I, I've heard that like Snowflake, Databricks, other warehouses uh, and data lakes are trying to provide this capability where uh, instead of needing to you know regenerate a, a view or a table from scratch every single iteration, it kind of looks at the most recent diff of data and updates just the like those necessary pieces, um, I you know th- there's there's been a lot of really uh, interesting and promising work out of academia in that space. It'd be it'll be really exciting to see that hit uh, hit industry over the next few years.
0: Yeah, I think that there's uh, you know one of the trends I've seen as well, which goes along with what you were mentioning in the beginning, is there's there's just this trend now of moving data less. You know, it's less of I mean, a lot of these uh, concepts around like the data warehouse, ETL have been around for a very long time, but with newer technologies like um, Snowflake and and some of the things that they're doing around, you know, creating native data apps and, and so forth, it's making it so that it's not about transporting some subset of the data over to some new location, doing a bunch of operations on it, and then, you know, bringing it back, you can essentially do a lot of that stuff natively within, you know, where the data sits, which is really, really cool.
1: Yeah, and, and I think has huge security implications because, you know, if we have 10 copies of the data, that's 10, 10 more places to secure and, you know, make sure, you know, there's there's good access controls on and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I'm very excited for that too, yeah.
0: Yeah, you just end up compounding your PII sprawl problems essentially by moving the data around. Uh, is there anything else you'd like to share?
1: Yeah, I'll, I'll give a shout out Uh yeah, Merit, we're definitely hiring. Uh, if you want to check out open roles, as well as uh, we actually keep our pay bands public, so if people are interested in how much money they'd make, uh, www.merits.com slash careers. Uh, that's Merits, M-E-R-I-T-S with an S at the end. Uh, yeah, other than that, you know, if you're interested in working on these types of problems, helping out Gov, would love to would love to chat with you. Uh, and then other than that, Sean, thank you so much for having me. I've really, really appreciated this. It's been awesome.
0: Yeah, thanks so much for being on the show. Uh, it was a lot of fun, and I'll include that link in the in the show notes as well. And uh, you know, I appreciate you going through so much detail and being so transparent about the work that you're doing at uh, Merits. And thanks again, and cheers.
1: Awesome, thank you, Sean. Talk later.